Good morning, church. Our scripture reading today is Hebrews 10, verses 1 to 18. And uh, brace yourselves because it's a pretty amazing passage. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Praise God. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Laura. Good morning, everybody. Laura's right. This is an incredible passage. I uh, pray that I can do it justice this morning for us. But I want to ask right out of the traps this morning, what is it that you think that you need most in life right now? What do you think you need most right now? There'll be loads of things coming into your mind, I'm sure, especially off the back of the news this week, that we're going to be staying in lockdown for a little while longer. Maybe what you think you need most is for these restrictions to be a thing of the past. Maybe what you need most is to be able to get out of your house. Maybe what you need most right now is people in your house, more company, actually. Maybe... What you feel like you need most right now is a new house or more money, financial security, a new job maybe, or to be married, to be more content with life. What you need most right now is to be freed from the illness that you've been suffering with. Maybe what you feel like you need most right now is more discipline in your life. Or to be a better version of the person that you are right now. There are loads of things that we need 
Loads of good things, essential things that we need. But here's what the writer to the Hebrews has been saying throughout this book. All those things, as good and as essential as they are, Jesus Christ is better. He is who you really need today. He is the one thing that you need most in life, actually. And at the most foundational and fundamental level, what he's saying to us here in Hebrews chapter 10 is that what we all need today, what we all need in life, is Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross. That is what we need. And this is what he has been saying to uh, the Jewish Christians who have converted from Judaism to Christianity. He's been saying to them, look, I know that you're facing persecution. I know that times are tough. You found this faith in Jesus Christ. You put your trust in him. And I know that you're looking back over your shoulder. You're looking back to those old covenant ways of the past, the ways that gave you security in the past that you were familiar with. You're looking to those things and you're wondering if you should go back there, if they are really what you need, if they are really better than Jesus. The writer's saying to them, don't go back. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. He is the one who is faithful and will never let you down, and he is the one that you need most in life. Jesus is better. He's a better high priest. He, he is a better savior. He offers a better sacrifice for his people, which we're going to see this morning. He guarantees a better covenant for his people, a better covenant based on better promises. He offers better access to God, full and forever access to God. Jesus Christ, he secures a better salvation for his people. So look to Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Don't turn your back on him. And for us this morning, well, there's, I'm going to guess, not a temptation for us to, to turn from Jesus and to turn to the old covenant ways that we see in the Old Testament, uh, to go to Judaism. But the temptation for us to, to take our eyes off Jesus and to drift away from him is just as real. We wonder if Jesus is really all that we need. Maybe it's Jesus and all those other things as well in life. That's what I really need right now. I wonder, is Jesus really better? Is life with him really better? Here's where we're going to go this morning in Hebrews chapter 10. Three things, and I've tried to make this as simple as possible um, as I can, really. Three things in this amazing passage. The writer gives us bad news, big news, and good news. Bad news, big news, and good news. So here's the bad news. Let me read verses 1 to 4 again. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. 
But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Here's the bad news, which the law and the old covenant reveals. The bad news is that we are unclean. And there is nothing that we can do to make ourselves clean. We are unclean and there is nothing we can do to make ourselves clean. That's the big problem here in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at what he says in verse 1. For since the law, the old covenant, all of it, the sacrifices of animals, the priests performing those sacrifices in the tabernacle, the day of atonement once a year, all of it, since it has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never make perfect those who draw near to God. Let's be clear. The law wasn't bad or evil. But the law had its limitations. It was insufficient. Just like there's nothing inherently bad about shadows. They just have their limitations. Shadows can only do what shadows do. Think of it like this for a moment. Think of a, a picture and the real thing that the picture signifies. A picture of my family. I could show you a picture of my family today, and it would show you a lot about them. But a better way for you to know my family, the true form, what they're really like, is to meet my family in the flesh. The real thing. To get them to walk into your living room and chat with you, it's going to show you so much more than a picture ever could. But that doesn't make the picture bad. A picture can only do what a picture does. A shadow can only do what a shadow does. It can only tell you so much. It can only go so far. A better way for you to actually know what the picture represents is to meet what the picture is pointing to. And that's what the writer is saying here in Hebrews chapter 10 at the start. He's playing with that imagery and he's using that metaphor of shadows and reality to try and get the Jewish Christians to think about the old covenant ways that they're tempted to go back to being the shadow, pointing to something else, the true form, the good things that were to come. Because here's the problem with the law. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't enough. It could never completely cleanse people of their sins. Verse 2 says that if it could, wouldn't all the animal sacrifices just have stopped? Wouldn't your consciences be cleared from the guilt of sin, not riddled with the guilt of sin? Because all the law did was heap more and more guilt on the people. Because verse 3 says, in these continual sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. The bad news is, verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Animal sacrifices, all they could do was cover sins. They could never take sins away. And you might ask, well, why was the law and the old covenant given then? Well, this comes back again to the shadows versus reality, the pointing forward to something better because it was given, to God, given by God to show three things. That God is holy and therefore cannot be in the presence of sin. That we are sinful and therefore cannot be in the presence of God. 
but that God in his grace would make the way for sinners to come back into relationship with him again. That's what it revealed. It revealed that we have a problem. We have unclean hearts, hearts which are infected with sin. You see, we've all turned away from God, turned to our own ways, rejected him and his ways. And that causes this separation between us and God. And there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to bring us back into relationship with God again. And the law was there to show us that. It was there to reveal our sinfulness, our unclean hearts. And it was there to show us that if we're left to our own devices, well, we're all hopeless. Because what God demands, his law showed this, his, his demands are perfection. He demands perfect obedience, a pure and a perfect heart. But none of us have that heart. None of us are perfectly obedient to God. We need our hearts to be cleansed, to be made pure. But none of us can do that. The old covenant sacrificial system, it shows that. Because the way God gave for sinners to approach him and to be in his presence, it couldn't go far enough. It could never cleanse hearts perfectly, completely. No matter how much the people did, no matter how many animal sacrifices they offered, hearts weren't changing. People couldn't stop themselves from sinning. Sin was so deep in their hearts that even after sacrifices were made for sins, it would be no time before they had sinned again. And another animal sacrifice would have to be made. Priests working overtime the most secure job in town, no risk of ever being laid off or made redundant. And where would this all end? How could it ever stop? It was a case of always cleaning, but never being clean. Jane, my wife, she has this kind of love-hate relationship with cleaning. She loves having a clean house, but she hates cleaning. And this is what I hear Jane say all the time. I feel like I'm always cleaning and this place is never clean. And this is what you can imagine the priest saying and the people feeling. We're always cleaning, but our hearts are just never clean. Constantly reminded of our sinfulness. Consciences which can never be at rest. Always guilty. The burden of sin never truly lifted off. And this was never what God wanted. God has never wanted his people to do all this external stuff to earn his acceptance with hearts that are cold to him, distant from him. That's not what pleases him. Verses five to seven of our text show us that. He doesn't want the sacrifices. He doesn't want the burnt offerings. That, that's not what he takes pleasure in. A pure heart a heart that delights in him and his ways, that is what he wants. And the law was given to show that that's what the people could never have on their own. It was given so that the people would actually live by faith in God, that he would provide the way for their hearts to be made clean. 
What the people needed wasn't a a self-help moral improvement program. They didn't need more animal sacrifices. What they needed was for God to rescue them, for God to redeem them, for God to cleanse their hearts from sin and to make them new. This is the bad news which the law and the old covenant revealed. And this is the bad news which we see for us too. We have hearts which are unclean. This passage and so many others in the Bible, it diagnoses me and you. And it's not a pretty sight. Why am I so impatient? Because I have an unclean heart. Why do I say nasty things sometimes? Because I have an unclean heart. Why do I get angry with my children? Because I have an unclean heart. Why do I desire things that God says are wrong? Because I have an unclean heart. Why do I struggle to be content? Why am I jealous of other people? And on and on. All of it because I have an unclean heart. And so do you. And even more jarring than that is there is nothing I can do about it. The good stuff we do out here, it can never make us right in here. It can never make us right with God. And the problem a lot of the time is that the good stuff out here that we do, it makes us feel right in here. It makes us feel that we're actually not that bad a person. I do a lot of good things. I I help my neighbors from time to time. I give to charity. I serve in my local food bank. I actually go to church. I've gone to church for years. I'm on a welcome team at church. I'm on the kids' ministry. I'm a missional community leader. Surely all of that makes me a good person. Surely God is pleased with me when he looks at my life and all the things that I do for him. Surely he would accept me for those things. But the bad news is none of that is good enough. None of it gives us a clean heart. And when we stop looking out the window at everyone else and comparing ourselves to everyone else, and when we look in the mirror and see what's really there deep down, being totally honest with ourselves, we know something is wrong. Our consciences plague us. We know that we don't do the things that we want to do and we do the very things that we don't want to do. I can't stop myself. It's just the way I am. It's the way my heart is. And our culture, it tries to minimize guilt and deny guilt and escape guilt. If you go on the internet, it's just rife with all these self-help moral improvement programs. That's exactly what the Mosaic law was, given all those thousands of years ago, and it never made anyone right. It never solved the problem. It could never give people a clean heart. Whatever we do, we will always be left with the feeling that we're always cleaning, but never truly clean. And so it begs the question, where will we go with our guilt? Is there a way for us to be made clean to be made right with God forever? And Hebrews 10, it gives us the answer to that question because it shows us where to go. Because here's the second thing we see in our passage. There is big news. 
big news. Jesus came and he promised that he can make us clean. This is the big news of the book of Hebrews. This is the good news of the Bible that we're going to see towards the end here. Jesus has come. And he promises that he can do what the law could never do. He promises that he can make us clean. He can change our hearts on the inside. Look at verse 5. These are words which change everything for all of us. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, the old covenant ways were never going to do it. Never going to do enough. But it was always just pointing to something better. A shadow of the good things to come. And the writer says the good things to come finally came in Jesus. When he stepped into the world. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. What will? What has he come to do? To rescue, to redeem, to cleanse his people and make them perfect before God forever. This is what I've come to do, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. This is a quote that's taken from Psalm 40, and it's amazing. It's like we get to eavesdrop in a conversation between God the Father and God the Son in eternity past. And God the Father says, offerings and sacrifices are never going to do it. They're not what I want. All this external stuff, all this rule keeping, it's not what I take pleasure in. I want my people's hearts. I want hearts which desire me, which delight in me and my ways. And nobody's heart's changing with the law. And Jesus Christ, the Son, he says, Father, send me. Give me a body. I'll go. A body you've prepared for me. I'm willing to do what's needed to make the hearts of your people right once and for all. We needed a better solution to our great problem of sin. And Jesus says to God the Father, I'll do it. I'll gladly do what's needed. I'll be the perfect priest. I'll be the perfect sacrifice too, so that people's hearts can be made clean. And you know, Jesus, he was the only one qualified for the job. He's the only one who could do this because he is the only human being in history who has ever and could ever keep God's law perfectly. God demanded perfection None of us could do it, but yet Jesus Christ, he lived the perfect life that none of us could live. See, in the human body that God gave to Jesus when he came into the world, Jesus fulfilled all of the law's requirements. He experienced temptation and weakness just like you and me, yet he never sinned once. He lived the perfect life of obedience, never deviating from the will of his Father, and his perfect life of obedience culminated in his death on the cross. Proving that Jesus Christ wasn't just willing before the foundations of the world, but that he was worthy to do the will of his Father. 
He wasn't just willing, but that he was worthy to offer that eternal once-for-all sacrifice that was needed to completely cleanse us from our sins forever. And verse 10 says, it's by that will that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus came to the world and he promised he could make us clean. This is the big news of Hebrews 10, the big news of the Bible. And he proved that he could make us clean by offering his body as a sacrifice through dying on the cross. And this is why thirdly there is Good news, good news for us this morning. Incredible news. Jesus Christ died so that you can be clean forever. He died so that you and I can be clean forever, perfect in the presence and sight of God. This is the good news of the gospel. It's Romans chapter five, verse eight. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. This is why Jesus and the cross is all we need in life. Because it's only through his death on the cross that we can be offered the way back to God forever. It's only through his death on the cross that we can be given those clean and pure hearts that God desires. And it's only with that clear conscience, free from the guilt of sin that we can draw near to God and have full access to him forever. Look at what it says in verses 11 to 14. These are wonderful words. While every other priest stands daily at their service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins completely. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Look at the contrast between Jesus and the old covenant priests. Old covenant, many priests offering many sacrifices which could never purify hearts. But Jesus, one perfect priest, offers one perfect sacrifices, which cleanses hearts from sin forever, and he sits down. While other high priests, they stood daily offering sacrifice after sacrifice, Jesus Christ offers a perfect sacrifice, which covers and cleanses the sins of his people forever. And he sat down. Verse 13. His work is done. His precious blood has done what the blood of bulls and goats could never do. His final words in the cross show this to us, don't they? It is finished. The one final sacrifice that's been made, it's over. Nothing more needs to be done. What good news this is. And in this passage, we get two big doctrines of the Bible. Two big biblical truths about salvation. There's the doctrine of justification and the doctrine of sanctification. 
Now, justification, it just means that God takes the work of Jesus Christ, his perfect life and his finished work at the cross, and he applies it to the life of the person who puts their trust in Jesus. And in that then, we have the very righteousness of Jesus Christ, his perfection credited to us, to our account. We see this in verses 10 and 14. He uses the word sanctified. It means the same as that justified, perfected. Through Christ's sacrificial death on the cross, you have been made perfect or you have been sanctified. You've been justified, declared righteous by God. Verse 10, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time. This is a completed work, something that has already happened. And this means that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, if you put your faith in Jesus and his death, you right now stand righteous before God. It's not a righteousness that we have conjured up for ourselves because of the things that we do out here. It's a righteousness that we have been given by Jesus because of what he has done for us. This is the great exchange. At the cross, Jesus Christ took our sin on himself so that we can be given his perfect righteousness. It's incredible. He became unclean and bore the guilt of my sin and yours so that we can be set free from sin forever, so that we can be cleansed of sin perfectly. And this is an irreversible declaration by God. Nothing's going to change this. It doesn't have an expiration date. It's just an awesome truth that we have from now and forever, a truth that we can rest in today. And why do we need this truth? Well, It's because we've got an enemy who is proficient at accusing us. We have an enemy who whispers lies in our ears and makes us feel unworthy, unacceptable, unable to approach God. The devil, another word that's used in the Bible for him is the accuser and he loves to drive a wedge between the believer and God. He might even be doing it right now with you today. He might have even done it as you came to log on to this service online. As you listen, he he came up to you and he he said, we're going to worship God today? Really? This is what you're going to do now? You're going to sing praises to God? Remember what you were doing this time yesterday? Remember the things that you were looking at? Remember what you said to your wife or your husband yesterday, the way that you spoke to them? Remember what you said about your friend behind their back? And you think that you can just mosey on up here and have access to God? That you can approach his throne of grace the way you are? He accuses us because what he wants us to do is to run far from God to run away from the throne rather than approach the throne of grace. He tries to convince us of these lies that there is more that we have to do, more that you have to do today to make yourself clean and acceptable to God. But don't listen to his lies. 
If you're a believer, your conscience is wiped clean. The guilt of your sin is taken away because Jesus has paid the price for it. You are forgiven. And here's where the hymn before the throne of God is just like a a tutorial. It teaches us how to apply this doctrine of justification to our lives when this happens, when the devil does accuse us. Because here's what it says. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. This is where the gospel truth becomes gospel experience. Where the doctrine of justification, it sings to our hearts today. And we know with full assurance, with full confidence, because of Jesus, we are in the right place. You are right to be standing before the very throne of God today through Jesus Christ. And we also have here in verse 14 the doctrine of sanctification. Because look how the the writer uses a different tense. He says this, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time, past tense, those who are being sanctified, present tense. This is an ongoing process. And ongoing sanctification, our continual being made perfect. You see, As we live out of Christ's perfect work on the cross, as we rest in his finished work, we are changed. We're made more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ through the presence of his spirit in us, in our hearts. As we live in Christ's righteousness, he helps us by his spirit to live out his righteousness. And that's what we see in verses 15 to 18 because The cross is the doorway through which we enter into this new covenant relationship with God. We thought about this a few weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 8. Words from Jeremiah 31. A new covenant where God promises to work in us by the power of his spirit. Where he he promises to change us on the inside. To give us a new heart. A clean heart. A pure heart. And a new mind. Verse 16. A heart which grows more and more to love what God loves, which delights in his word. The more it just reads his word and meditates on it, a heart and a mind which delights to live in God's ways, to bring him glory. It doesn't mean sanctification that we're perfect right now and that we're never going to sin again. We know we're going to get things wrong. We know we're going to mess up. But here's where the new covenant is such good news. And here's where it's so much better than the old covenant, the law. Because where it could only remind us of our sinfulness and induce more and more guilt upon us, the new covenant brings freedom from the guilt of sin. The Holy Spirit is given as the seal, the seal in our heart, To say that we are accepted by God already. Not based on the things that we do, but based on Jesus Christ and what he has done. The the new covenant, the Holy Spirit given to us into our hearts is the seal pressed upon us, which says, you don't need to worry about your sins and whether you're acceptable to God and whether you need to do more to make yourself clean. You don't need to worry about that because, look, you are already forgiven. 
completely forgiven of sins forever. That's what God, through the Holy Spirit, says to the heart of every believer in verse 17. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And so the Holy Spirit helps us to live the Christian life with humility and confidently. It helps us to live both humbly and confidently. Humbly because we are deeply aware that we need a savior. We are deeply aware of the the bad news about our hearts, that we have unclean hearts, deeply aware of our need of Jesus. But here's what we see in Matthew 5. It's blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because the Holy Spirit, when we recognize our sinfulness and our, our deep need of Jesus, the Holy Spirit helps us to live confidently because we know that when we do sin, when we do mess up, there is freedom in Christ. We have the Savior that we so desperately need. The Holy Spirit, it's there and it brings conviction of sin, but it doesn't bring condemnation. It's Romans 8 verses 1 and 2, life in the Spirit. Therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There is grace, abundant grace, overflowing grace for you today. When you sin and when you mess up this week, you know, know in your heart that you can run to Jesus Christ, to the foot of the cross again, where God's grace and his mercy are poured out on us where there is forgiveness for sins. This is good news today. It's Christ's love for us, shown, demonstrated by his death on the cross. This is what sets us free from the guilt and the burden of our sin. It's Christ's love that propels us to live a life of holiness, It's Christ's love that motivates our mission, living lives that boast in Jesus and his work and not in ourselves and what we do. And it's Christ's love that fuels our service. This, understanding this, dwelling in this, resting in this, this is where the Christian life becomes a joy and a delight rather than a duty and a burden living with a deep confidence that Christ's once-for-all sacrifice is indeed enough. Rest in his finished work today. Because as it says in verse 18, where there is forgiveness, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is what we all need. It's what I need. Good news today. To be secure, not in myself, but in Jesus. To be confident and to boast, not in myself and the things that I do, but in Christ and all that his death has done for me. Stop striving for God's acceptance and for his love. And just rest knowing that because of Jesus Christ's sacrificial death on the cross, you're already accepted. You're already loved with a love that cannot be surpassed. 
If you're someone this morning who's listening and who's never trusted in Jesus, I want to ask you the question, where will you go with your guilt this morning? Maybe as we've talked about the bad news at the start, you felt the pangs of guilt inside you. You know that there is something wrong. I can't do the things that I do want to do. And I know I do the things that I don't want to do. But where do I go? Who do I look to to help me with that? Here is what the writer is saying. Look to Jesus. Come to him today. Because the big news is Jesus came into the world and he promises that he can make you clean forever. He can take that sin and that uncleanness that's in your heart that's making you feel unworthy it's making you feel all that guilt and shame. He can take that from you right now. Lift the burden of that right now and give you freedom by his spirit. He can set you free. But here's the thing. The big news of Jesus coming into the world is only good news for those who receive it. For those who receive it with gladness and with a humble and a contrite heart who are meek and who are willing to say, I desperately need Jesus. I cannot do this on my own. I need a savior more than anything else in life. And if you come to Jesus today, listen, today, right now, at 11.25, you can be made clean. You and God can be right the sinful things that you've done in your past, the relationships that you've broken, the God that you've so deeply offended, all of it can be washed away, clean forever. So I want to ask you this morning, will today be the day that you finally accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and as Lord of your life? Will today be the day that you come to him and you say, I am so sorry for ever turning my back on you. And will today be the day that you realize that through his death on the cross, you have been given the way to be forgiven and made clean forever, made right with God forever. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole Again, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let me pray.